0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: Welcome to Mind Your Business on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm Chief Content Officer for a growing community of businesses called the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs. As usual today, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. This show's about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. If there's something you've been struggling with, If there's something that's holding you back, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And remember, this is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, someone else listening to this show is probably struggling with it too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. With us today to discuss your questions and challenges is Lou Mosca, Chief Operating Officer of American Management Services and a regular guest on this show. American Management Services is based in Orlando. It's a consulting firm that helps business owners, which is why Lou always brings us interesting stories from the front lines. Welcome back to the show, Lou.
0: Good afternoon. How are you?
1: I'm great, thanks. Ask me why I'm
0: great. Um, Because you're bundled up and you have a parker on and you have your mittens on and you're staying out of the cold.
1: Uh, Nope, that's not it. Uh, That's all true. That's all true. But uh, I'm great because as soon as this show is over, I'm flying to Nashville for a really cool Oxford Center event that that you should be going to and you still could. Do you you have any plans for tomorrow?
0: Um, Is it going to be warmer than 30?
1: Uh, It's going to be right around there.
0: I actually saw that in your newsletter and I thought about it when I saw it last week. And I have some travel I need to do over the next couple of days. But I would love to go to these events. They look great.
1: You, you need to come. And, uh, you know, this, this one's really going to be special. And truth to tell, I hate to admit it, but uh, we have plenty of empty seats available. And um, let, let me tell you what. We're, we're going to have Carrie Smith, the founder of Big Ass Fans, a manufacturing company from Lexington, Kentucky, uh, he's our featured speaker. He uh-huh. he bootstrapped big-ass fans, sold it about a year ago for half a billion dollars, and he's going to be there talking about how he did that, but also what he's doing with the money, and uh, and what he's doing with the money is he's created an investment fund. He's looking to invest in other small businesses like his once was uh, that he thinks have potential and, and help them grow. Um it's it's going to be a really interesting event. We also have two local entrepreneurs from Nashville uh, who uh, built small giant type businesses, really impressive businesses. Emma Marketing is one, Letter Logic is the other. And the owners of those companies decided uh, it was time to sell. They went through the whole process. They sold. One's very happy with the way it turned out. One's less happy, and they're going to talk about what they learned uh, going through the processes. And do you know what it costs to come to this event, Lou?
0: I feel like I'm being dated. You know, <laughs> was there any, any reason we're doing this to me today? I'm Curb trying to get I, you no, to come
1: I, tomorrow, I, Lou. I, off, I, off, the
0: top, off the top of my head, beside the Fair in a hotel, I don't know.
1: That's, that's all it costs. It's, okay. Otherwise, it's free. And if, so if, if anybody's listening from the Nashville area, all you got to do is RSVP at events at OxfordCenter.com. And, uh, and I'm going to keep working on Lou. Maybe you'll even meet him there.
0: Well, what you really should be telling folks is to sign up for your Oxford newsletter because it's a great newsletter. Every morning, it's fantastic. I actually look forward to reading it and seeing what you put together. It's amazing to me how much information you cobbled together very quickly to get that document out each morning. People should read it. It's great.
1: Well, now I don't have to say it because you just did. Thank you very That's much. The
0: truth. But, you know, you know, you made a comment about the two panelists you're going to have tomorrow, one that sold his business. And he's happy and one that sold his business. And I think your words were a little less happy. You know, we find that when owners actually consummate a sale, there's a lot of time their seller's remorse. A lot of time. They've given up their child, their baby, something they've cultivated and nurtured for a long time. And even if it's the greatest deal and the greatest arrangement in the world, and I'm not saying this was or it wasn't, there's a lot of time their seller's remorse. You know, it's like cutting off a limb.
1: I, th- you know, I've had those conversations with a lot of business owners. I know exactly what you're talking about, and that that's mm-hmm. often the case. In this one, mm-hmm. I think there is. You're absolutely right. That was present here, uh, but there, there's also in this case an element of um, this business owner sold the business to a uh, mm-hmm. private equity group, and that private equity group made a lot of promises about how uh, the employees of this business were going to be treated. And those promises were not all kept, and you know that's left some uh, some pain. That, um, as as you said, no matter how great a deal it was, um, that 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 still hurts.
0: Yeah, but you know, I mean, the nature of a private equity firm is they want to get in, they want to run it up, they want to maximize profit, and they want to sell it. So unless you dot the i's and cross the t's, forget the verbal promises; they don't mean anything.
1: It's a good thing to know going in. Are you, do you have mm-hmm. you know? Where, there's a lot of talk the last few years about. Uh, all of the uh, baby boomers who are selling businesses. And by the way, if you you happen to be one of those and you're listening to this conversation and you got a question for Lou, please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Do you have clients, Lou, who are are going through this right now? Do you have many of them?
0: Actually, very few. Most of our clients are... um... Most of our our folks, Lauren, are first or second generation, and most of them are looking to go to second or third generation. And the ones that aren't, really, really what they want is to set up this business to be a a revenue generator for them forever. So um, uh, whether they choose to slow down their path or not, you know, on occasion we work with folks that think it's just the right time to get out, and it's a natural evolution, sell the business and and maximize the value and the return, and they're entitled. But it absolutely happens with us a lot less than people would think.
1: I'm surprised to hear that. Um, Mm -hmm. that, That's really interesting because, you know, we have heard so much talk about this. Um, It it is a common problem that somebody reaches the age where they need to start thinking about what happens next. And and there's nobody in the family that wants to take over the business. What do you do do then?
0: Yeah, well, I I think that, you know, if um, I think that. Uh, sale is always an option for folks. I, I'm not a fan of an ESOP. I think we've chatted about that one <laughs> twice before, but I think that uh, a lot of times, if you set up the right management structure in your business, you know, you really don't have to to be overly overly concerned about it. You have options, and and I think people should explore them. Well, you know, there's companies that run around and do these valuations for businesses, and they'll charge you thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to do a valuation, tell you it's worth you know, $7 bucks. sign on the dotted line, we'll get it sold for you, you pay us a commission. And the amount of companies they actually sell are so small, it's crazy. And there's a better way to go about how to sell a business. And, if, you know, we can help folks with that any time. But most of well, the- Well, give us a owns,
1: hint. What's the better way?
0: Well, the best way, I'll give you two hints, okay? The first is If you haven't maximized the return on your investment and your assets and maximized profit with a strong plan, you won't get the best return. But more importantly, you should be strategic in who you want to approach to be your buyer. You should be strategic. Why would someone want to take over your business? How did you dress it up to do that instead of just giving it over to a broker or an agent and hope they bring some stranger in that's going to make promises that a lot of times they might not be able to keep?
1: What what about that uh, the valuation piece of it that you were referring to? Is there an alternative to spending all that money to to get the estimate?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is going to sound absolutely silly, but I think uh, most CPA firms that and almost every client has an outside CPA firm. Most CPA firms can give them a rough valuation. That's number one. Number two, Google how to do your own darn valuation. It'll tell you. You can find everything on the internet, now, Right. So it may not be <laughs> it may not be exactly perfect. Because it won't calculate in the intangibles, but it'll give you a rough idea. And I think owners should work it backwards. They should say, "What do I want to get to sell?" and "Is my business is, is my business worth it to do that?" So I have a friend who who is a uh, vice president in an eighty ninety million dollar construction firm here in the southeast, and they have grown dramatically in the last four or five years. And I have been telling he and his his partners now's the time to sell while you're on the uptick. You've got nothing but a great track record. It's a great story. Sell it today. And they don't want to do it. But
1: why? You were just talking about how most of your uh, clients want to keep the business. They're thinking about the next generation. Uh, why, in this case, did you tell these people that they should sell? I, I understand if they wanted to sell, now's a good time. But, but, but why not keep building the business?
0: What I actually told them was two things. I think that it's a perfect time to sell because they will get an incredible... Multiple for if you look at their trajectory and what they've done the last five years and what the next three years looks like. Oh, my God, it's a perfect time to actually think you can get a multiple that is ungodly. And On the flip side, I said, if you don't want to do that, it might be the perfect time to make an acquisition and double your size overnight and then think about selling in five or six years. So, uh, you know, my philosophy is that if you're really knocking it out of the park, it's going to come a point in time where that doesn't continue. It's just human nature. So I think if there's an opportunity for you to cash out and you could do it, you should do it. But a lot of owners are reluctant to do it, just like my friend is reluctant to do it.
1: Do you factor into this uh, thought process the uh, the state of the economy? Are you um, are you nervous about some of the red flags we've seen, and is that an influence on the decision of whether to sell now or not?
0: You know, what's interesting to me, Lauren, is that uh, uh, I've been doing this for 20-plus years at American Management and one thing I think is extraordinarily consistent is that privately held business owners, uh, the SBA defines them as, you know, small businesses, These privately held business owners are always, always, always optimistic. They're street <laughs> fighters. <laughs> it, that's not necessarily
1: are. a good thing, Lou. Well, but,
0: There's but a time sometimes. to
1: be optimistic and there's a time to be realistic.
0: Well, I think that's the case all the time, but they're extraordinarily optimistic and they believe in their hearts and their souls Tomorrow's going to be better than today. What I find different now, and it's probably in the last two, three, four, or five months, is that they're still optimistic, but they're cautious. And, and what I find is that everybody's got the same beef, can't find people, can't find people, can't find people. But at the same token, most of the folks we deal with are being a little more cautious on investing in, in uh, capital expenditures those trucks, that equipment, that building. So an employee you bring on, you know, you don't have to keep that employee. You're making a commitment to a $3 million piece of equipment, and you're pregnant with that $3 million piece of equipment. So I see they're a little more cautious.
1: If you've got a question for Lou, give us a call. We're at one 844 That's 844-942-7866. Let's take a phone call right now. Joe in Virginia, welcome to Mind Your Business. Thank you. What's on your mind, Joe?
2: Well, Lou was just mentioning something, and, and I've got a plumbing business, and I'm there's just seems to be a shortage of uh, people in the trade uh, that are skilled. We just don't educate kids in vocation uh, anymore. Matter of fact, the schools seem to be pushing them to go to college, and it's impacting me that I don't have those people.
1: Lou, we get this kind of question. Uh, Very frequently, especially as the economy improved over the last couple of years, people have had a a harder and harder time uh, finding job candidates. Thoughts?
0: What kind of business was it again?
1: A plumbing business.
0: Uh, um, Are you a contractor, a distributor? What what actually do you do, sir? Residential
2: Residential and commercial plumbing.
0: So you're looking for laborers. You're looking for plumbers. Plumbers, yeah. Okay, do you have a um, – and how many folks are you actually looking for? I could use three good guys now. Not four bad guys. <laughs> guys. <laughs> okay, so uh, – I can you know, find the bad ones but, but yeah.
2: that are they're skilled and know something about the trade.
0: Okay, so I think you're right. Uh, I, I think a lot of people now are being pushed towards some degree of higher education instead of the trades. And I think that you have to be proactive in every medium and every area that you can. So we tell a lot of the people that are contractors that we deal with that um, uh, any trade show you can go to, you should go. Any high school, college, BOCES, any of these events, you shouldn't go once a year. You should somehow get involved in being actually a teacher uh, or a teacher's assistant, be involved with helping them set the curriculum. So maybe you get a shot at uh, the first people out of these, these uh, training schools and high schools. And I would also suggest, if you, this is going to be a little bit far-fetched for you, possibly, that go look at veterans groups, guys that have just gotten out of the military, that are looking to build a career in a trade, and teach them from the ground up. You're going to have to put in some time and some energy. You just can't put a re- uh, posting out there and hope to get four plumbers tomorrow.
1: Joe, how many uh, employees do you have right now?
2: Right at, uh, right at 30.
1: Uh, what kind of uh, efforts have you been making to, to find people? What 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 has worked for you in the past? What's not working for you now?
2: Well, uh, indeed worked for a little bit, um, but uh, it's um, getting people with no skills now. Uh, you know, the postings, I, I give my guys a, a bonus of 500 bucks if they know somebody because I figure they, they're going to know people doing the same thing. And that works occasionally, but I really like Lou's suggestion uh, because we do have a guy that came out of the military that wandered into us and asked asked for help, and uh, he's been a great uh, worker. Uh, Great, um, I don't know, attitude. He's used to working.
0: I find, I have found, uh, uh, Joe, over the last couple of years that the job boards for laborers, plumbers, carpenters, bricklayers, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, roofers, the job boards for those are not the greatest avenue to attract talent. And if you can, if you have the patience and the capital to be able to bring in folks that are just want to start and try to build a new career for themselves, you might get a little bit more loyalty if you lay out for them what you might be able to help them with over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months because you don't want to train someone and then just lose them. You know, and that happens right. a lot in the construction world, right? So, but if you can um, lay out something. i
2: somebody else's people.
0: Yeah. Right. If you can lay out something that shows them what their opportunities might be in 12, 24, 36 months, and you start from scratch, what you want to try and create is more of a loyalty and a bond to you. But this is grassroots. It's not easy. Go into the BOCES, go to the high schools, do your work. Thanks.
1: Joe, as the, as the job market has tightened over the past year, yeah. have you changed what you uh, pay your people? Um, I've had to, yeah.
2: Is it a union shop? N- non-union,
0: non-union. Okay. okay. So it's still going to be tough to find talent, and money is one thing. Um, I, you know, I'm a firm believer. People take jobs because they want to be they want to be treated well, and they want to feel like they have an opportunity. So you need to figure out what's going to make you different from everybody else, Joe. <clears throat> and but you, as the owner, if you are the owner, I presume you are. You as the owner, you, you should go. You should go spend that time at the high school and at the BOCES and at the job fairs. Let people know that there's nothing more important to you for those four or five hours a day that you're devoting the time. And then the rest of your employees will take it a little bit more serious when you're offering those referral bonuses you mentioned a minute ago.
1: Joe, thank you very sure, much for your you. phone call. Really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck with your search. If you have a question about your business, if there's something you're struggling with, give us a call. We're at 1-844-WARTON. That's one eight four four. Nine four two seven eight six six. Lou, yesterday I was in Baltimore and I was hanging out for a while with uh, a really interesting business owner named Drew Greenblatt, who has a manufacturing business. Um, he's one was one of our Forbes Small Giants this past year. Um, he built he's um, he started making wire baskets to hold bagels years ago, and now makes wire baskets to hold uh, really. Uh, complicated um, p- pieces of um, in, in a, um, oh gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. He, he, he sells these baskets to high end manufacturers like Boeing to capture pieces in a uh, manufacturing uh, line. Um and he um he told me that just in the past six months he's had to go from paying temps uh fifteen dollars an hour to paying them twenty dollars an hour and he still can't uh find people to take jobs.
0: You know what's interesting to me, Lauren, as I think about this, and people are respectfully so much complaining about they can't find talent, they can't find talent. And I, I wonder all the time two things. Number one is that if you can't find talent, do you need people? or you're not getting enough out of the people you have. The second thing I think about is that if not having that one plumber, that one uh, uh, line operator, that CNC operator, not having that one person, is can you define what it's costing you not to have that person? So theoretically, if you can define what it's costing you not to have that person, to pay almost anything up to what it's costing you is still going to generate profit still gonna generate you some profit. So this whole concept of I had to go from fifteen to twenty dollars, who gives a darn? Who cares? If not having that one person cost you three hundred thousand dollars you couldn't ship that year and you would have made hundred and twenty thousand dollars or forty percent gross profit on it, then anything you paid up to if you paid sixty thousand dollars, you're still gonna net sixty.
1: Well, uh, yeah, What you pay that one person you have to hire can affect what you pay other people as well, right?
0: Without a doubt, and if we change a comp plan here at American Management, we change it for everybody. Absolutely for everybody. What's right is right. I totally agree with that, but you need to factor that into your pricing. So if it's, if it's preventing you from getting business or servicing your accounts or servicing your customers and it's incremental dollars, I don't care. Don't give it to them and then it to pay for performance and give pay for performance to everybody. But you can't say five dollars an hour is going to prevent you from executing. Can't do that. It's crazy.
1: Well, I, I think that's exactly the thought process that uh, Drew Greenblatt of Marlin Steel Wire went through mm-hmm. uh, when he went from fifteen to, to twenty dollars an hour. Uh, and mm-hmm. in his case, um, he, he's gotten to the point where his factory is now running uh, twenty-four hours a day. Um, mm-hmm. They, they just cannot keep up. They've never had a backlog uh, this size. Like and, this, right. And, and it comes in, I mean, a year ago uh, I was down there, actually, and they had, they had closed down the factory for three weeks, and they were buying a whole bunch of new machinery, uh, mm-hmm. including a, a lot of robots, mm-hmm. uh, to you know give them greater capacity, and they still can't keep up.
0: Well, you think about there's it, there's, a, there's a, a gentleman here in Orlando that owns uh, – I don't know, I'm going, to, I'm going to make up a number, but I'm close, 20, 25 McDonald's. And one of the stores he's got does extraordinary business. And I'm talking many, many, many millions of dollars. And the more hourly rates go up, the more automated they make the store. Now, that doesn't mean it's in the kitchen, but everything else from how you order, to where you get your napkins. Everything is, it's just so automated what they do. So people are going to find waves to offset whatever cost they have to, but there's some fundamental services where you need human beings. And if you can measure what the ROI on that human being or that investment's going to be, and you can create a path forward for that individual, you might create something more special than you can imagine.
1: My guest is Lou Mosca. If you have a question about your business, if you're struggling with a particular issue, call us at one 844 warton That's 844-942-7866. Uh, let's take a call right now. Philip in New Jersey. Welcome to Mind Your Business.
2: Hi. Uh, this is uh, Philip. And uh, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, I have a small family business. We're uh, about 100 people. Uh, my brother and I are partners in it. And uh, as we've evolved, we're now looking to set up for the first time a board of advisors. And I'd like to uh, hear from you guys if you have any suggestions or advice in terms of, A, how to go about that process, B, what type of characteristics or individuals or roles should we be looking for, and uh, C, what should occur during these uh, quarterly board meetings. Uh, I have some ideas, but I'd like to hear from you guys.
1: Lou, thoughts?
0: Sure. So, um, Philip, I think that's a great, great question. And more importantly, I think it's a great strategy. I think almost every business, once you get past a certain level or even when you start, should have a board of advisors, which is totally different than a board of directors. Correct? Totally different than a board of directors. So, Lou, tell us, us what the of- difference is. Well, board of directors you need approval from to take action i mean they're actually uh they're actually supposed to uh set the path approve the path the ceo wants to take ownership wants to take normally a board of directors requires a vote and you need their approval for major decisions maybe any capex over fifty thousand, maybe an acquisition but you need board of director approval here you have two owners they want to remain independent but typically what a board of advisors is this is exactly that. It's just people that will bounce. you can bounce ideas off of, they've got experience, and you're looking for input, but you're not obligated to follow. That's typically a board of advisors. I love boards of advisors, and I think most owners should have them. But I think you need to surround yourself with extraordinary talent to do it, and you need to be prepared to pay them for that talent. So, um, you know, I don't know what you got in mind, I don't know what your philosophy is, Philip, right? I don't know what your philosophy is, why you want to do this, but is this something you and your brother are struggling to make decisions together? What's actually going on?
2: So where we're at on it is uh, uh, we're a 45-year-old company, and uh, this is my 18th year. Like I said, the family business, my brother's 16th. And we've evolved, we've grown, we have a very strong executive team. Uh, We're very strategic. Uh, uh, meeting off-site, quarterly, uh, weekly with our executive team, making sure that we're moving forward on our initiatives. And at this point, also, we're looking for someone, not someone, rather, uh, exploring this idea of having people bring us outside expertise, challenging us, bringing new ideas that maybe our internal team might not have considered, as well as holding us accountable to... uh, uh, hitting those initiatives or uh, these new ones?
0: Well, I think that, Lauren, if you don't mind, I think that... I don't um, mind. I don't think a board of advisors is going to so much hold you accountable. I think they will challenge you, and they can challenge you on how you think. They might chastise you. They might pat you on the back. But what you want from a board of advisors is, is um, direct conversation because they're not dependent on you to make a living. So if your executive team and yourselves as owners are going in one direction or another, you want people to be able to sit around a table with you once a month, once a quarter, whatever you choose to say, hey, Philip, why are you guys doing this? Have you thought about, but they're not going to tell you that they don't have approval process. You guys have approval process. That's different between advisors and a board of directors. However, I think there's extraordinary value in having a board of advisors. And I think to me, to me, I always encourage my, my clients, if they're going to do that, I really don't want on my Board of Advisors my CPA and my attorney. They're dependent on me. I don't, I don't want them to be my Board of Advisors. I'd rather surround myself with a solid marketing executive in the community, maybe a solid manufacturing executive in the community, maybe a retired um, uh, military executive, someone that went up the ranks in the military, people that can listen objectively give me feedback objectively and not be dependent on me to make a living and pay their bills.
1: How do you find those people? Lou? It's
0: a job. Everything we do is a job, right? So, um, you can do what other people do. You can hire a recruiting firm to do that for you. You can post something on ZipRecruiter and draft it yourself. Uh, if someone needs help drafting that, I'll actually help them do it. Um, You know, I would imagine if you've been in business, I think you said 47, 48 years, and you've been there 19 years, you know people that you don't do business with that have had extraordinary success in whatever their industry is. That industry doesn't have to be pertinent to you. That industry has to be that person's experience and their success needs to be something you want to draw upon. You want to be challenged by good people. You know, it's like when, um, you know, Michael Jordan wanted to play basketball against the best. He didn't want to play against the weakest. So you want to put the best people around you in an advisory capacity that you're going to share your financial information with. But more importantly, you're going to share your plans, your execution, your strategies, your direction, whatever you're looking to accomplish to try and get feedback. And you can find those people out there. And a lot of times if they're, you know, semi-retired or just retired and they still want to be in the game a little bit, but they've sort of gotten out of the daily, you know, rat race and the things that we do every day it might be a perfect sweet spot for you because they're not looking for a lot of money and they still have a lot to offer.
1: Philip, here's one other thought. Uh, I've had a lot of interaction through the years with an organization in Dayton, Ohio called Aileron, um, A-I-L-E-R-O-N. That's an aviation term. I didn't know that until I heard about the organization. A lot of people do know that. Um, but it's it's a really great organization. It was started by Clay Matill, the guy who founded, or didn't found, but took over uh, IME's uh, pet food company very early and built it into a billion-dollar business and sold it to P&G. And they believe very strongly that having this kind of board is essential to a, a successful business. And they have a program to help business owners to uh, find uh, advisors, create such a board. Uh, they monitor the whole process. They'll even introduce you to uh, potential uh, advisors who you might want to uh, put on your board. I, I strongly encourage you to, to check it out if that sounds at all interesting to you. Philip, thank you for your phone call. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you've got a question about your business, we're at one 844 Wharton. That's 1-844-942-7866. We're going to take a quick break here, uh, but Lou will be back, uh, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about, you know, what he's hearing from his clients lately, what kind of uh, interesting issues they've been uh, bringing up. Uh, we'll be back after that break. Our number is one 844 wharton 844-942-7866. Please give us a call. You don't have to wait. Our producer, Michelle, is standing by. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Lou Mosca, and this is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132.
2: You're listening to Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Here again is Lauren
3: Feldman.
1: Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. We're talking to Lou Mosca and we're taking your calls. Lou's Chief Operating Officer of American Management Services on Twitter. He's at Mosca Small Biz. That's Mosca, M O S C A. If you've got a question or a comment about your business, give us a call. Our number is 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 942 7866. So, Lou, what are you hearing from your clients? It's been an interesting time out there. Uh, What's going on? Well, it's
0: certainly been an interesting time, but I want to, if you don't mind, I want to take the gentleman that just called Philip. I, Oh, my God, I want to applaud him. I am uh, always dismayed by owners not doing several things. So, you know, so in the spirit of what are we hearing out there, you know, I told you on average we talk to meet with thousands of business owners every year and it's almost never that any one of them have a business plan right but if you go past that this this entire advisory concept um, we suggest this often not all the time but often and most times it is rebuffed because while owners talk the talk a lot of times they don't want to be challenged just don't want to be challenged in an advisory group that's not dependent on them will challenge them. So I tip my hat to Philip. I think it's fantastic. I hope he does it, and I hope uh, your friends can help him there. And if not, I'll help him anytime he wants help. I think it's fantastic.
1: Well, so, Let me ask you, Lou. The, you, you, I think you raise a really interesting point, and I've heard this uh, from a lot of business owners. Uh, I think you're right that the concern some have about bringing in a group mm-hmm. is, well, you know. What does it mean if they give me advice that I don't like and I reject it? You know, how will the advisors react? Uh, What's the point of having them? But, um, but, you know, I got to make my own decisions. I'm the one who knows this company best. Um, I I think that there are reasonable reasons for being wary of that situation. What what do you tell people about that?
0: I I think if you're the owner of your business and you don't know it better than anybody, then shame on you. You should know it better than everyone. That doesn't mean you don't know it all. That, that doesn't mean you do know it all, quite frankly. So my point is the, most, the best professionals that we come across are the most open-minded and the, and the least closed off. So if you're not comfortable with being challenged, then you're right. You should never bring any professional in in any capacity. But if you really want to hit it out of the park, should want to be challenged so a board of advisors is really quasi going to hold you accountable because they don't have the juice to do anything where a board of directors has the juice to penalize you they just do
1: how how big does a company have to be uh, before it should consider bringing on a board of advisors
0: anytime you want you could do a million dollars a year Get yourself two people to meet with you twice a year. Give them five hundred dollars each twice a year. And people, you know, senior executives love helping. I don't want to say younger folks, but newer business owners love helping people share success and and expand upon their successes. They relish it. They love it. It's like when when here in Orlando, if I get called, which has happened to me several times, to go over to one of the, one or two of the local high schools to talk about. Uh, business ethics or business topics with seniors or or juniors and seniors i try not to do below that school level i can't wait to go i want to give back i want to do that well most people that are successful in business would welcome the opportunity to help others but you got to be willing to take it
1: you you used a term there i want to ask you about You, you referred to uh senior uh executives um I think some business owners are wary about bringing on somebody who has business experience but is not an entrepreneur and doesn't really know what it's like to live and die with your own business. How how important an issue is that? Uh,
0: My brother had a friend a thousand years ago that sold hair care products in uh,
1: New England. Always comes back to hair care with you, doesn't it, Lou?
0: Doesn't it? Well, you know, because I know you like that. You're right. And I know you're going to send me more pictures. So... (laughs) So, but this gentleman was running a hair care business. He was doing about $18 million a year. He was a great salesman, but he was not, and he admitted, he looked in the mirror and said, I'm not a great leader. I'm a great salesman. So he demoted himself to sales manager and hired a retired IBM executive to run the company for three years. And it was specifically on a three-year plan, and then the gentleman would step down. He had never been an entrepreneur, never managed his own company, worked at IBM for 30-plus years, the gentleman took over, and within five years was doing about sixty-five million dollars, and built the infrastructure. If you're great at business, you're great at business. If you're sh- if you're not good at business, you're not going to get there. All
1: right, back to my question. What have you been mm-hmm. hearing from your clients?
0: Um, what I said a little while ago: optimistic, cautious optimism. It's got a lot of a lot of challenges going on with folks. Um, obviously. The weather in the last three days hasn't helped, but more importantly, the, the shutdown hurt a lot of people in a lot of ways. So we have, a, we have a client right now that manufactures widgets, and about half of their business is sold to people that do business with the DOD, and everything stopped for four weeks. And this is a 5 or $6 million company, and they really took it on the chin for four, five, six weeks. Very difficult.
1: How did, Another, they, how did they get through it? Did they, did they continue to pay their people?
0: What they did is we put everybody on a three-day work week. All right, and we just had to shrink everything down temporarily, and kept talking to our people every week. And now we've brought everybody back, and we didn't lose one person. We're extraordinarily transparent; did not lose one person. I have a client right now, Lauren, that's doing a um, contractor, and he's doing um, West Coast. they going to do about 16 million this year. It's going to be profitable; going to make about a million dollars in profit. But to fund what they needed to do, they needed a million dollar loan, and they got a they got a term sheet and a commitment letter from a bank subject to the SBA approval and then the SBA shuts down. So now they're open for three weeks, maybe hopefully more than that, but that that loan, that plug that they needed has been on hold. So there's a there's a whole bunch of challenges out there.
1: I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Lou Mosca. If you have a question about your business, if you're struggling with an issue, call us. We're at one 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. Lou, I'd like to go back to the uh, the hiring of employees a little bit. Um, I'm, um, I've been talking to a lot of people lately about Glassdoor and the impact that it can have uh, on a business. Um, you know, it's a review site. Uh, they put up a lot of information about employers. It can have an impact on whether someone wants to work at your company or not. Um, any thoughts about how business owners need to manage that relationship? Yeah,
0: I mean, you know, we... We check our Glassdoor hosting account almost every day. We, I get automatic updates on it. What I find, uh, correctly or incorrectly, and I don't know if it is just my perception, is that these sites like Glassdoor and Indeed and Yelp and whatever, they sort of love when people post trash. And they don't love when companies' folks will... Um, Actually, post what they believe to be reality. So, you know, the, I'm sure you saw last week Wall Street Journal front page, Google with uh, not, um, uh, Glassdoor with a lot of with companies gaming the system. And I don't think anyone should do that. I just don't think anyone should do that. I think everyone should reply to whatever's on Glassdoor with whatever the facts are. So, I'll give you an example. Our Glassdoor rating is not good. I think it's 3.2 or 3.3 or It's not good. And in fact, some of the things that have been written about us on Glassdoor that go back to 8 or 10 years ago, there's a couple of things people wrote negatively about us that are spot-on accurate. Absolutely spot-on accurate. There were some things, and they're right about it. But what I find is that when you try to communicate with Glassdoor about something that is not accurate or indeed with something that is just frivolous, they don't care. So I think that every owner should have some type of check and balance that says we're going to monitor what's out there and we're going to reply to everything in the most professional manner that we can. And a lot of folks don't do that, and I wish they all
1: would. How did you handle that, Lou? When somebody uh, posts something on Glassdoor, even if it's from a long time ago, and you believe, as you just said, that they're actually right about uh, what they're saying, do you acknowledge that on Glassdoor?
0: I I will acknowledge it everywhere. And in fact, when we have a candidate Um, Okay, when we have a candidate that we're chatting with, we make sure to take them all to Glassdoor, Indeed, and Yelp and walk them through what's been written and admit to them what's right. I want to be absolutely transparent with everybody that wants to consider to work with us, and I think owners should be proud and forthright about who you are and what you do, but that doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. So if we made a mistake, so be it. We made a mistake. Let's discuss it and let's move on from it. And a couple of occasions on us that they're accurate.
1: If you've had an experience with Glassdoor or one of the other sites and you'd like to share your thoughts, we're at one 844 Wharton. That's Uh, 844-942-7866. Louie, that's impressive.
0: Can I add add one thing to that? Sure. Okay. So this whole gaming the system thing that they, they said that SpaceX did it and they said that SAP did it. And I will tell you, we encourage our employees to post.
1: We should just say that, that article, which, by the way, we did uh, uh, link to in the Oxford, the Oxford report. You did. It a great Ma- article. Maybe that's where you okay. saw it. Um, <laughs> they... Um, (laughs) The the excellent article in the Wall Street Journal reported that if you look, if you track it, you could see bumps in the number of uh, positive responses these companies were getting. And what they were reading into that is that somebody at the company had told all the employees, you know, we have to combat the negative uh, comments by leaving positive ones. Get out there and leave a comment.
0: Yeah. And, and you, you know, you take it a step forward. You know, we encourage, we have almost 100 employees. We encourage folks, write on there, post on there. If you're, if you're inclined to do it, please do it. We'd love you to do it, right? And I'm going to tell you about three, four months ago, and I don't know if it was Glassdoor or Indeed. I just I don't want to make it up. It was one of them. Two of our folks posted in the same week, two. And both of them were taken down by the host site. both of them said that the people that posted or the individuals that posted, did not have a strong enough online presence um, to warrant them putting that up there. So it sort of was like the company manipulated this. It just was not the case. So, but, uh, but, my, and, but there's no one for us to really have a dialogue with. Very difficult situation. So if you want to post trash, they're welcome. they'll take everything you post. Crazy I think- world.
1: Um, I, have heard that same conversation involving Yelp, the issue being that, uh, exactly as you say, Yelp will often discount the comments coming from somebody who doesn't, uh, review restaurants f- frequently out of the suspicion mm-hmm. that they were put up to leaving this positive review and they mm-hmm. were just, this is just a one-off because, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're trying to game the system. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what you're dealing with most likely as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but, you know, I, I still, with all of my kvetching about this, I still think they're great tools. They're, it's a great tool, whether it's Glassdoor, Yelp, Indeed, whatever it is, it's still a tool. It opens up a dialogue. Well, It, it sounds it,
1: like it's possible Glassdoor has helped you uh, improve uh, the management at American Management Services. Uh, you learn things that perhaps you wouldn't have learned if it, if it didn't exist. I, that- I,
0: have not, I have nothing to
3: learn.
1: we all
0: know that there you go so no i really i do believe these sites provide value i think they're a little one-dimensional but i think they provide value and they really when you have a candidate or or a, a potential client looking at sites and what people say you know the more honest and the more transparent you can be the better but i do think every owner needs someone to be monitoring this stuff so you don't get
1: surprised uh I was impressed with your uh strategy of actually taking candidates and forcing them to uh to walk through uh mm-hmm. what 's on glass door mm-hmm. i I think that makes a lot of sense i think it's something you can assume most of them the smart ones anyway are going to do it on their own. You might as well make sure they do it, especially if there 's something negative there and let them know that you're you know willing to talk about it
0: you know we will actually go beyond that. Um, If a business owner wants to consider engaging with us, and normally they will ask for references and we are happy to provide them, um, we will also go beyond that. What do you expect to hear from a reference? Do you expect to hear good stuff or bad stuff? you expect to hear good stuff? So we give you references. They're going to tell you nice stuff. That's wonderful. We will actually encourage our folks to take our prospective clients to some of these negative sites. We're human. We want you to see it. If we're going to enter into a relationship, we want you to know who we are and what's right and what's wrong. I will tell you, the first time I told our recruiters that I want them to show all this stuff to people, I thought they were going to fall off the chair. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? But, you know, they, once they got over the, the hurdle, it's a, good, it's a good tool. People see we're relatively honest.
1: My guest is Lou Mosca. If you got a question about your business, we're at 1-844-WARDEN. That's 844 942 seven eight six six uh lou we were talking uh briefly about hair before uh i want to give you an update um last um i think july you were on the show and uh we spoke with the owner of a hair salon uh, a chain of hair salons in detroit named dana white who was uh facing an, an interesting decision she had uh built these two chains on the principles of lean manufacturing, the idea being that she uh, doesn't require people to make appointments. You can walk in, and she's going to move you in and out as efficiently as possible while still giving you uh, great care. Uh, She's built, to. She wants to grow. She wants to grow big. She had some interest coming from investors, and she was deciding whether to take that uh, money or not, and, and we talked that through. You uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're generally a little skeptical uh, in that situation, am I right?
0: I'm generally a little
1: skeptical. Uh, well, I got good news for you. Um, mm-hmm. She had a lot of conversations, and I think she's uh, she's glad she had those conversations. But um, and she felt she learned a lot talking to investors and thinking of you know understanding how they think and. It's something that perhaps she would consider down the road, but she's decided not to do it now. She wants to build the chain uh, on her own. The, the, it's profitable at the moment. Both stores that she has are profitable. She wants to open another one, build uh, more of a foundation, and maybe think about it again further down the road. Which I is thought she,
0: still, is, she was in the Detroit area, is that correct?
1: That's right, with, uh, with her eyes on Brooklyn.
0: Right, 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 right. Very cool. Yeah, if I remember correctly, she had built the one store that was doing well, and she built it from the ground up. And then the second store, she wasn't exactly following the same model as the first store in terms of trying to get traffic in the doors. But there was no doubt in my mind. By speaking to her that day, this woman's going to get where she wants to be. She's,
1: she's very, she's very smart. She's very impressive, and uh, and I think you're right about that.
0: She's definitely going to get there, and she deserves it. She took the risk. You know, the the earlier you give up a percentage of your business, the less of a return you're going to get. So if she can hold out another year, two years, three years before she does that, she will command much more money with a better track record.
1: Let's take another phone call. Maureen in Maryland. Welcome to Mind Your Business.
3: Hey, gentlemen, how are you?
1: We're doing great. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind?
3: So here's, here's my conundrum. I want to get into the asphalt and concrete repair business. I've been in the construction world in D.C. for years, have a really good, strong network that will give me the work. So do I start my own? I've got the money to do it buy an existing there's one in the area that's a little overpriced they want about seven million they're really only worth about four or partner with a smaller firm that's got great references and a really good ethic uh vibe about them maybe start as a uh salesperson with them and then grow
1: into a partnership. I think I know which one you're leaning toward. Uh, Lou, <laughs> <laughs> do, you have, uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, how Maureen should uh, approach this? Obviously, she has experience uh, in the industry. She has some money to invest. What's the best way to, to become an owner for her?
0: I would sort of look at this in a couple of different ways directions, number one, if you've got the bug to be an owner or an entrepreneur um, and you've got the experience, and I'm not talking about six months of experience, I'm talking about five, 10, 15 years of experience, then every day you delay is every day you miss an opportunity. That's my belief, number one. Number two, <clears throat> um, but number two, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I'm never a huge fan of buying somebody's business unless you can get it for a great value. And if you can get it for a great value, you've probably missed something. Probably missed something. So I think that if you're really confident... I'm guessing them,
1: you're definitely not in favor of spending $7 million for a business that's worth $4 million.
0: No, I don't even know if I'm in favor of spending $2 million for a business that's worth $4 million because usually you don't have long-term contracts in the business that Maureen's looking at. You're going job by job, estimate by estimate, bid by bid, or however you're doing things. But you don't have, you know, you don't have, uh, you don't have uh, the Maryland DOT signed up for a five-year contract where you're going to get a minimum of three million dollars a year at a thirty percent gross profit. It doesn't work that way.
1: Well, uh, Maureen, let me ask you: Why why wouldn't you just start your own business? What, what's keeping you from doing
3: that? My background is more oh. in tenant fit-out construction a few base buildings, meaning out of the ground, um, everyone that knows me in the area, they would trust me to do a good job for them, but they might have second thoughts about giving Mo, their good friend, an asphalt job because I don't have any track record in it.
1: So that's why you're interested in partnering with another company. What do you think, Lou?
0: Um, You know, I'm, I'm not... I don't love partnerships. If it's a means to an end and you've got a a disciplined path out of that at a certain point in time, it's all fine. It's all fine. But, you know, um, people have to want to take a shot on you and you have to determine if they're willing to do it. So if you want to partner with someone and you know that in 24 months you're going to go left and he or she's going to go right and you've committed to that, sometimes that's even more difficult. How do you split up what you got? Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a yeah, n- point. N- nothing's easy here. Um, the only way, it's, it's like that's why people sign prenups from time to time.
3: Right? <laughs> so the the-
0: but, but theoretically, it takes the angst and the questioning out of the transaction. So if right. you're going part- to partner with Lauren and you have a three-year plan, and you, can, and you can document exactly what that plan is, and both parties agree to it, including how you're going to divvy up assets, divvy up customers, divvy up capital, handle transactions, handle liabilities on the go-forward if there's a claim after the fact. I'm going to tell you, it's a lot of open doors. I'm a big fan going to business on your own. Swing the bat, take the shot.
1: Maureen, we're, we're short on time. Any, any thoughts about that? Does that make sense? No,
3: sir. I'm just really grateful. I love your uh, show, and uh, I love um, the reference to Kvetching.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Maureen, that thank you for beautiful. your call. Uh, Lou, I'm guessing you wouldn't mind if uh, if Maureen has further questions. Could she reach out to you? Anytime. How, how does she find you?
0: <laughs> uh, Maureen, you can email me at lmosca at com. L-M-O-S-C-A at com, or... You can call me directly at 800-743-0410.
1: You're a good man, Lou. Um, thank you for that. Uh, and as always, thank you for joining us here.
0: My privilege always. You, you know that.
1: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.